Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. Amen. What's up, church? How we doing? Good, good. It's good to be with you all. Uh, if you are a guest with us this morning, maybe it's your first couple times being here, I just want to say welcome to you. And for everyone else that's just been stuck with us for a while now, it's just welcome again. Hello, here we go. Uh, we have been going through a series through the book of Acts, and so we'll be opening up to Acts 20 in just a moment. If you want to grab your Bible and get started there, um, we are going to finish this series this morning, which is pretty surreal. And if you are a first-time visitor, I'm sorry that you're coming on the very last Sunday of a series, but it's all online. You can check that out for sure. Um, Acts 20 is where we'll be. We're going to walk with the Apostle Paul through the last eight chapters, uh, the last really leg of his journey on this planet, uh, which is humbling for sure. One thing that I just want to acknowledge before I jump in is uh, two things, actually. One thing that just came up to me um, just this morning is that I, we've made this announcement before, but there have been some suspicious texts coming, texts, emails like that coming from our staff to you guys. And so I just want to acknowledge to the front door, we said this last time, uh, if it sounds shady, if it doesn't sound like us, it's not us. Like if, if we're, we're not going to ask for money over email or for a text message, please do not engage with those. If we want to ask for your money, we'll just sit down and do that in person. All right. We'll just do that face to face. I'm joking for the most part, but... <laughs> If it, if it feels weird, it, it is weird. Make sure you look for our email signature on the bottom. We have, a, we have unique email signatures as staff now that we've changed that since last time. So please just don't even interact with that kind of stuff for sure. The second thing that I want to let you know is as we end this series and kind of look ahead towards the Christmas season, you best believe we're looking towards Christmas and getting ready for that. I'm very excited for that time of year for sure. Um, it's a great, wonderful time for our church body. Uh, we have a couple weeks here. We have Pastor Brady Boyd coming next week, just so you guys know. Uh, he's an overseer for us, the pastor down at New Life Church. He'll be here preaching with us next week. Uh, and then we'll actually have Pastor Kent with us the following week after that, the weekend after Thanksgiving. So, yeah. I know not all of you know Pastor Kent, but uh, he is in large part, his faithfulness to this body is the reason why we are here today. Um, so 35 years leading our church and he's coming back to preach the weekend after Thanksgiving and we're pumped to have him for sure. So um, Acts chapter 20, we're reading about the Apostle Paul. If you remember, he's been in the city of Ephesus. Uh, in Ephesus, he started quite the mess, start the, started quite the uproar. He'd been there for years, keep in mind. And as he's been witnessing, as he's been proclaiming the gospel, he's totally uh, flip-turning all of Ephesus on its head because all of the central economy that relied on this worship to Artemis is all deteriorating and going away because there's so many Christians in the area. And so as, as this is all happening, all this chaos is going on, Paul is convinced that he needs to return back to Jerusalem. And this is what he says. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. So I love that he says, I don't know what's going to happen, but I know it's going to happen. The Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city that imprisonment and affliction awaits me. So you keep in mind, this is the Apostle Paul. He's, he's ministering well. He's falling in love with these people. These people are falling in love with him. And he receives this word that he is to go, bound by the Holy Spirit, back to Jerusalem. And as he goes, he says, I don't know what all is in front of me there, but I know that, I know that affliction and imprisonment awaits me. Oh, joy. <laughs> Look, this is, this is something that's part of our faith, though. 
is pressing on. No, how many of you all have had that moment where the Holy Spirit testifies? There's just that thing in you that knows you have something that you ought to do, someone you're supposed to talk to, somewhere you're supposed to go, and your first reaction isn't always like, well, that just sounds like cupcakes and roses. <laughs> no, like that sounds difficult. Even our knee-jerk reaction a lot of times is, I don't want to go. Lord, send somebody else, please. No, but like, when was the last time you were faithful to the God, even faithful to God, even to the point of pain? Paul knows affliction, beatings, torture, and a prison, imprisonment. That's what's waiting for me. And yet he's just constrained by the Holy Spirit. He just has this urge on the inside of his guts that says, no, I, I need to follow after what God has put in my life to go. And so what we're going to do is we're going to just fly through the last eight chapters here of the book of Acts. The last several chapters is really him on his way to Rome, where ultimately he's going to be put on trial, found guilty, and killed. And as he goes, what we're going to notice is that Paul takes advantage of every single opportunity along the way to tell the good news, the story of Jesus to those that are around him. It doesn't matter the environment. It doesn't matter the audience. Paul's going to seize every opportunity to share the good news of Jesus. And that's what I want us to be marked with as we finish this series today. That I, I want to be a people who seize every opportunity to tell somebody about what Jesus has done in my life. So we jump forward to Acts chapter 22. Acts chapter 22, he has been brought back to the city of Jerusalem now. Um, and he's before a, a council. There's this whole like mob that's whipped into a frenzy. Paul's being arrested. He's being beaten up. He's being tortured all by, all by Jewish leaders that really don't have any jurisdiction or any right to do what they're doing to Paul. Yet they have him all whipped up. They have everybody mad. Everyone's frustrated. They're beating him up and he's brought in. He's being tried. He's speaking to the people and it's not going well. They're torturing him and they're persecuting him. And then all of a sudden, as he's getting taken out by the authorities, he's like, hey, can I, can I actually just take advantage of this moment real quick while there's a crowd? This is the Apostle Paul. They, the crowd has just been beating him up. They've been belittling him in front of everyone. And as he's getting drug out by the authorities, he's getting arrested. He's like, hey, sir, while I'm being arrested, you mind if I get one more word in? The guard's like, you know, in, in my English, in my mind, he's like, yeah, sure. Do whatever you want. You're going to prison anyway. So let's get it out now. This is what he says in 22 chapter one. He turns and he speaks to the crowd in Hebrew. So he's talking to them in their own native language, in their own native tongue. It says brothers and fathers. Notice the language that is of familiarity and family, even though these people have been torturing and beating him. And yet he addresses them as brothers. It's good to keep in mind that even our worst enemies are still image bearers of God and we should still be interacting with them as such, as brothers, as sisters. Even if we don't agree, even if we don't like the way that they think, even if they've done nothing but wrong to us, we still hold them in high regard because we value who they are as image bearers of God. Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. So all of a sudden, this crowd that's been just whipped up into a frenzy, all the shouting, all the yelling, you can just imagine what it would sound like. Now all of a sudden, they're hushing because he's speaking to them in their own language. He says, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers. Being zealous for God, as all of you are this day, I persecuted this way to the death 
binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From then I received them, I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed towards Damascus to take those also who were there and to bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. What does Paul start to do? He starts to speak to this crowd in their own language, and he just starts to rehearse his story. This is one thing that you all have to be prepared to do at some point is you have to be ready, as Peter would say it later, be ready to give a sound defense for the hope that is in you. Have you practiced your testimony recently? Is your testimony uh, simply just something that God did 20 years ago? Or do you have a fresh idea of what God has been up to in your life recently? Paul, he just starts to go and he's like, listen, brothers, fathers. And he just starts to tell the story in a way that relates and connects with the crowd that was just beating him. Here's the first thing that I want you to jot down today is we have to learn how to speak to people in a way that they can understand. So I don't know if you're at the gym and you're getting into a conversation. I don't know if you're in the middle of Target and you're getting into a conversation with somebody. Lord knows somebody's at Hobby Lobby this week somewhere where you're gonna run into somebody that you know and you might just have a conversation about Jesus. But have you been practicing your story Have you been rehearsing the things that God has done in your life recently so that when you engage in a conversation with somebody, you're ready to go, let me me put this in a way that you can understand. Now for Paul, what he was doing is he starts speaking to them in Hebrew. He speaks to them in their own native language. Fortunately, that's not a huge problem for us in this country, right? What do you call somebody that speaks three languages? languages? Trilingual. What do you call somebody that speaks two languages? Bilingual. What do you call somebody that speaks one language? American. Yeah. Right. So everyone's speaking English, right? But what we have to do is we have to somehow contextualize the conversation and put it into a way that people can understand. Here's what I mean by that. You need to connect with people like early and often if you're going to start telling them about Jesus. And the way that you do that is you don't just come in with big words like, well, you know, I've been being sanctified by Christ now since he initially uh, redeemed me from this broken uh, present evil age and he's now delivered me and transferred me into a kingdom of light. Like you might, you might use that kind of language with some crowds, but more often than not, you know how you're going to best connect with people is through your weaknesses. I love the way like Craig Groeschel, he's a pastor of just a gigantic church and he talks about leadership all the time. He says that leadership, the way that you lead people best is you have to keep in mind that people don't want to follow somebody who's always right. They want to follow somebody who's always real. And so the way that you're going to best connect with somebody is not by going, well, let me tell you this profound theological truth. You're going to connect with somebody by saying, yeah, my marriage was really tough the first few years we were married. I was a complete knucklehead. You're going to go, yeah, I I was just bound, struggled with lust. I was bound, struggled with pride. If you try to present yourself as always having everything together perfectly, guess what? You're not relatable to the rest of this world. People are struggling. People are having a hard time with things. And if we want to set our pride as the focal point of what other people are going to see, then they're never going to see Jesus through it. We have to understand that the way that we're going to best connect with people is by entering into the pain and acknowledging the painful parts of our story. Paul just starts walking through his testimony, not highlighting how awesome he was, but he starts off by going, I was persecuting this thing that you're, believe, that you're persecuting now. I was doing the exact same thing you were doing. Notice how he relates and he connects first and he speaks with people in a way that they'll understand. If we as a church are going to receive power from the Holy Spirit and be a witness to the world around us, we better start with speaking in a way that people understand or in a way that people actually want to hear about. Yeah, hey, guess what? Raising kids is hard. I don't think I'm perfect at it. Yeah, guess what? Like, 
like not talking like badly or talking down to the people that drive me crazy is something that I still have a hard time with taming my tongue. I'm working on it. I'm trying to get better. And hopefully what you can say is that I'm nowhere near where I used to be, but Christ has done an incredible work through me and now I'm here. Notice how in that statement, you're not highlighting your own work. You're highlighting the work of Christ in you. Because if there's no delineation between who you once were and who you are now, then, then I just want to submit this to you humbly. You, you may not be a Christian. You may not have had an actual encounter with Christ if you're just simply kind of cleaning up the own behavior that you used to have. And you're just kind of doing it. No, there should be a difference from who you once were and who you are now. But even in that, we're acknowledging that, man, God has, it is, it's in my weakness that Christ is made strong. It's because that's how I can best relate and connect with the world around me. So we go from there. Paul is giving this, he's giving this sermon. He's giving this message. He's telling his testimony and he gets arrested. And if you go on through, through uh, the rest of Acts 22, he's put in front of a Roman tribune, um, tribune where he's being beat up. He's being tried again. It's kind of this trial that shouldn't be happening. The Jewish people are beating him up. They're trying to get him in prison. And so now the Roman centurion, the guards are involved and they're starting to arrest him. And Paul's like, would you really flog a Roman citizen? So he kind of pulls out this trump card. He's like, guess what? You can't do this. I'm a Roman citizen. The centurion's like, wow, that must have been expensive for you. He's like, no, I was born a Roman citizen. So even here, Paul is appealing to his citizenship and saying, you can't treat me like this. I have rights. And so from that moment on, his, his trajectory changes. He starts to move. In that moment, he starts to move away from his trial, ultimately being with the Jewish people in Jerusalem. Now, all of a sudden, he's finding himself heading towards Rome. And he's, he's arrested. He's beaten up. And now he goes in front of the council. I love when he's in front of the council in Acts 23. We don't have time to tackle it all today. But uh, he realizes that there's Pharisees and there's Sadducees that are there putting him on trial. And he just drops a religious argument in the middle of it because he knows that the two parties disagree. And I just, I think that's so fun because anytime you're caught in a moment of religion where people, all they want to do is talk about the theology of things. But sometimes you just want to go, hey, we're missing the mission if all we do is argue about theology. And I, I love good theology. Good theology is important. Yet when he's, when he's in, on trial here, he just says, yeah, well, what about the resurrection? And then they start fighting and he's kind of like, cool, see you guys later. <laughs> so we don't have time, but it's a great story if you want to read it. He's sent to Felix the governor, okay? Felix is the governor. Um, oh, sorry, let's, print, let's bring up this verse. I don't want to skip it in 1 Corinthians 9, 19. Sorry about that, Judy. 1 Corinthians 9, this is Paul speaking in a way off that last point that we should be speaking to people in a way that they they can understand. He says, look at this. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win Jew Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things. Look at this line. You can highlight this line in your Bible. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I've become all things to all people. Understand the context of who you're talking to. Relate with people with how they are seeing this world, but don't compromise your values. Paul never compromises who he actually is. He just changes the context of what he's saying to the right groups of people. You can't, you can't say to me and you can't argue, well, I'm just going to find myself in the bars because that's where people really need to hear about Jesus, even if, and all the while, you're participating and struggling with alcohol. That doesn't work. You can't be living a life marked by compromise 
What Paul, that is not what Paul is giving us permission to do. What he's saying here is I'm, I'm finding a way to relate and connect with anyone that I possibly can. Not in a way that changes my values, not in a way that changes my behavior, but in a way that maybe changes my speech, maybe changes the different parts of my story that I highlight. And he finds a way to witness to everybody, not in a way that he's going to see everyone come to Christ, but in a way that he just might see somebody come to Christ. Does that make sense? Okay. So Paul now, he's arrested. He's, he's brought in front of Felix, the governor. So, it, it, you know, he's in Jerusalem here. He gets brought up. His case gets brought up to Felix, the governor. He's witnessing to Felix. Felix takes some time to kind of figure it out. He puts him on house arrest. He's mostly, mostly if you kind of read through this in Acts 24, um, Felix is kind of like, I don't want to deal with the Jewish people, but I kind of want to make them happy. So I'm just going to keep Paul in prison for now. Well, Felix's term eventually runs out and then Festus becomes the next governor, which like side note, how awesome are these guys' names? <laughs> like if Felix or Festus would have been running in the election last, I almost for sure would have just been like, yeah, sure. Your name's great. That's awesome. So now Festus is in charge. Festus is putting him on trial, asking him questions. Festus realizes all, he's like, okay, I've got this Jewish guy who was kind of left as a prisoner to me under my care. So he's like, I, I don't know what to do with this. So he takes it up to the king. Notice how Paul's case is just sort of escalating up the, up the governmental ladder and he takes him to King Agrippa. King Agrippa, he goes in front of King Agrippa and what does he start doing? He starts retelling his testimony. He just keeps sharing his story. He doesn't make up something new. He's living the one life that he has. And he's telling the story of what God has done with him. And he's before King Agrippa. And he's like, I'm saying all these things in my defense. Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. The governor yelling at Paul. Have you ever, have you ever been in a room where you are just, you're punching out of your weight class a little bit? Where you're, li you're looking around the table and you're like, I, I don't know why I'm here. I'm not the smartest person in this room. I don't know why I'm here. That doesn't keep Paul from sharing his story. Some people are labeling him, labeling him as crazy, out of your mind. Paul, you're deranged. That doesn't keep him from sharing his story. That should be of note to us. You're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I'm speaking true and rational words. For the king, now he's turning his attention towards Agrippa. For the king knows about these things. And to him, I speak boldly. For I'm persuaded that none of these things have escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. What Paul's saying is like, we didn't have our Christian meetings in private. Like this has been all over his kingdom. This has been all over the city. He knows exactly who we are. He knows exactly what we're doing. And he's like, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. How, how fun that he just starts to point right at King Agrippa and address him directly. He's like, I know you believe this. Look at Agrippa's response. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? King Agrippa's like, dude, we've been together for like half an hour now and you've just been talking the whole time. You think that, you think you're going to turn me into a Christian? What does Paul say? Well, it takes a short time or a long time. I would to God that not only you, but also all those who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. So what's Paul's answer? When King Agrippa's like, you trying to make me a Christian? Just like a little half hour session with me, bro? I got another meeting starting at one. And Paul's like, yes, I want to see you become a Christian. I'm trying to get it so that everybody believes in this message that I'm starting to say. So here's, here's the next note for us. When we're sharing our story, when we're sharing about who Jesus is, share with boldness, with or without relationship. You know how much relationship Paul had with Agrippa in this moment? Zero. Hi, Agrippa, Agrippa, Paul, nice to meet you. Good to meet you. Hey, here's the story of Jesus. Are you trying to make me a Christian? You bet your bottom dollar I am. 
Listen, sometimes in the world that we live in today, we can so prioritize the comfort of the other person across the table from us that we're unwilling to share the good news and the real news about who Jesus is. And we couch that under this mask of like, well, I just don't know them that well yet. How many of us do this with our neighborhood, by the way? Oh, I just, you know, I just want to get to know my neighbors and I just, I really don't want them to think I'm weird right away. Okay. Well, sure. Maybe, like, maybe don't like prophesy over them or pray in tongues. Maybe, maybe you just do whatever the Holy Spirit's telling you to do and you just let him do what he wants to do. Right? But how many of us are like, oh yeah, I've been meeting this, like I've been friends with this guy now for 17 years and I, I am like, we're just about there where I can tell him about Jesus now. Come on. But don't we do that sometimes? It's funny. We're laughing, but it's nervous laughter. I can feel it in the room right now. Like you're like, yeah, I, I do that. Guys, listen, Paul's like, no, I'm, I'm trying to make it sure that everybody who hears my voice knows about Jesus and I want them all to be exactly as I am except for these chains. We shouldn't let the, the, we shouldn't let the lack of relationship, we also shouldn't let too much relationship be a barrier point because some of you, you've been friends with people long enough now, it's just kind of weird for you to bring up Jesus out of nowhere, you know? So here's a great way to start. Hey, I know we've been friends for a long time, but there's something about me that you should know. Go for it. Drop, drop 120 seconds of just sheer awkward weirdness into the conversation so that you can eventually get yourself to sharing about the good news of who Jesus is. Because it's about time, isn't it? When we look at sharing our faith, we should contextualize it with the environment that we're in. We should share with people in a way that they can understand. And we also shouldn't let relationship or lack of relationship be a barrier for us to share with boldness. We've said this before in the series, but over and over and over and over again, you know what the filling or the outpouring of the Holy Spirit looks like in the book of Acts? Believers filled with boldness to testify about who Jesus is in their life. So when we're asking, I want to receive power, maybe that means I'm going to receive some sort of spiritual gift, a sign gift. Maybe that means the Holy Spirit's going to do something that I'm not comfortable or used to him doing. But you know what it also might look like? It might also look like you finally having that conversation with the person a cube over from you that you've worked next to for 10 years, but they still don't know that you're a Christian apart from your little calendar that has Jeremiah 29, 11 on the, on the wall. It's time that they know more than that, church. It's time that we start being a witness. A witness doesn't have to manufacture a story. A witness doesn't have to make up a bunch of details to try to make a story sound better. A witness just says, here's what I saw. Here's what happened. Here's who he is. Well, what about this part of the story? I don't know that part of the story. I didn't, I don't, I'm not a witness to all of the Bible. I don't know everything yet. I'm still trying to figure out some questions myself. But here's what I know. God's brought me from this to that. God showed me his kindness, his love, his mercy in this specific way. God answered this prayer in my life. Do you see how all those things are just witnessing to what God has done? They're not trying to manufacture some crazy part of the story. You don't witness in a way where you're like, okay, well, let me, you think about like in a court of law, like, the witness isn't sitting there like, let me try to make this as palatable as possible for the jury over here. And neither should we as a witness. We should, in boldness, with confidence, share exactly what it is that Jesus has done. Well, isn't Christianity kind of exclusive? Well, yeah, because Jesus says that he is the only way to eternal life. But that message of him being the only way to eternal life is open to all who would hear and receive. But there's going to be a lot of people who don't choose that. Yeah, there are going to be a lot of people who don't choose that. Because he demands, he demands like lordship from you. He wants you to surrender your life to him. That's not, a, that's not a step that a lot of people are willing to take. But when I took that step, his lordship never 
led me in a way that was harmful to me. It always led me in a way that even though it didn't make sense in time, it brought me somewhere profitable. Not just, and I'm not just talking money there. I'm talking in my spirit, in who I was, in my behavior, in the way that I, in the way that I love, in the way that I care. That whole conversation right there, like that, that's not rocket science. You don't have to understand the theological position of a cessationist or, or, or a continuationalist. You don't have to know what part of the millennium you believe that we're in right now or how the eschatology all ends up. You don't have to know all those questions. You have to just share in confidence, in boldness, and witness what God has done in your life with those who are around you. As we move forward, we see in Acts 26 that uh, Paul, again, he's on his way to Rome. So once he kind of makes his appeal to King Agrippa, and King Agrippa kind of realizes, he's like, man, there's really no reason. Like, if this guy hadn't made the appeal to Roman citizenship, we'd be setting him free today. He wouldn't be going to Rome. But it didn't matter to Paul. He was bound by the Holy Spirit to share what he had to share. So now he set sail for Rome. Apparently, if you read through Acts 27, I just encourage you, you can read all of this that we're covering today in like one 20-minute sitting. I would totally encourage you just to read, if you're like a really slow reader, maybe take you like 30, 35 minutes, but that's okay, right? Um, if you just read this, it reads as such a, a, a narrative, like you're just following Paul around. And in 27, it's apparently the wrong time to set sail. They're gonna have to sail um, over to get to Rome. And apparently it's the wrong time to sail. There's all these storms. It's, it's past the time when good sailing has happened. And so Paul sets sail with some Roman, uh, Roman guards. He's got some people with him and, and they go and they get caught in this just like horrible, horrible storm where they're literally like, it says for days without food, just fighting the storm, throwing things overboard just so they can stay afloat. And, and Paul stands up and he says, um, since they'd all been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them, middle of the storm, chaos, right? I, I'm not much of a sailor, not much of a fisherman guy, but I can imagine that scene's pretty stressful, you know? Boats taking on water all over the place and Paul stands up and he's like, men, you should have listened to me. <laughs> I'm not a sailor, but I am a man of tact, I think. And I just think that was the wrong moment for that phrase, you know? <laughs> Guys, big mistake, should have listened to me. We shouldn't have set sail this time of year. But they did. Well, listen to what he says. You should have listened to me and not set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet, now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night, there stood before me an angel of of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I've been told, but we must run aground on some island. So you can just imagine this moment. Paul's received this vision, but how many of you know, like, when you receive a vision or you receive some sort of clarity from the Lord, like it can, it can be difficult sometimes to share that with people whose circumstances don't match the reality of what you're about to say to them. So here, let me say it a different way. Don't wait for perfect circumstances to start sharing about who Jesus is. It seems like a really inopportune time to pray for healing when someone has cancer because you're like, well, what if it doesn't happen? Am I right? It can be a really hard time to pray for someone's prodigal son uh, because that's a really tender and fragile subject sometimes for someone who's wandered away from the Lord, someone who's not interested in the Lord, but you go, hey, let's keep praying for them because I'm trusting that, that God's word will not return void here. And, and I think because of that uncomfortableness, because of that awkwardness, sometimes we can lean out of entering into messy situations because we're like, well, let's just see how this plays out a little bit before we step in with this like, well, thus says the Lord. 
And I would just offer to you the, the, the counter argument of Paul here. He's in the middle of the storm and he says, hey, guess what? God said, we're gonna be okay. Now here, here's a good note. Don't be sharing something unless you really feel like God is sharing it through you, right? Don't make up your own outcomes of situations because you have no idea what God might be doing in the middle of their pain. So, but, but don't hesitate on the same hand to step into uncomfortable situations and start declaring truth about who God is in the middle of those difficult circumstances. Hey, I know you just lost the baby, but I know that God loves you. I know that he's for you. I know that he has a plan for your life, plans for good and not for evil. He does not, he does not mean harm for your life. He wants to do something with this painful moment, right? Sometimes we just wait and we're just so uncomfortable because the situation looks so bad that we fail to step into those painful moments. But the Bible would say, no, don't wait for circumstances to get better. Broken circumstances are a perfect place for us to start praying. Step, those are the moments where we want to step in. We want to say, no, I, I just want to pray. I don't know how God's going to do this right now, but I want to ask that he would show up. I would ask that you'd be seen in this moment right now, that you'd feel loved, that you feel cared for. And so we have to understand that like waiting and taking a backseat, that might be missing chances to play in what God's trying to do. I, uh, we were just talking as a staff. We were at a staff meeting earlier this week and our facilities guy, Tim, he was at a funeral. Pretty inopportune time to share about the good news of Jesus is when you're at a, uh, at a funeral of somebody who, who wasn't a believer. Can we agree? We've been in those moments and they're heavy and it's hard and it's heartbreaking. And it was after the funeral, everything got cleaned up and Tim was in conversation with one of the young gals um, and used the, the pain of the moment, even though the circumstances didn't improve, like that pain didn't get better. But she started asking him some questions and she started to kind of wonder some things. And Tim just got to faithfully start to witness to her. And she received Christ that moment. Like, isn't that an amazing thing? Here, here's, here's the point of that story. Like, don't wait for the circumstances to start testifying about who Jesus is and what he's done. You have no idea how the Holy Spirit's going to use something in a given moment. You're like, well, this, might, this isn't going to help. This family's broken. They're busted up. They're sad right now. How am I supposed to tell the good news of Jesus in a horrible moment like this? You start by just sharing. Well, God loves you. God is for you. And you just start testifying about who Jesus is. We go on now to Acts chapter 28. In 28, you know, Paul has this whole crazy story in Malta. Again, we don't have the whole thing, but he's literally like making a fire. A snake bites him. It's venomous. He shakes the thing off and the guys are like, he, he's got a demon or something going on with him because that snake just bit him. And then he like shakes it off and he's healed. And they're like, never mind, that, that dude's got something that's good. It's not bad, <laughs> right? He gets to Rome eventually. And in Rome, he's gathered together some of the people and he's in front of a bunch of Jewish people again. Now, how has this gone for Paul in the past when he's in front of a Jewish audience? Well, they get all fired up. They start beating him. They start persecuting him. They try to get him thrown in prison as quickly as possible. And so you would think Paul's learning by now. Like what, what's the definition of insanity? Doing something over and over again and, and expecting a different outcome, right? Yet he's got a Jewish audience. So he does it again. And guess what he starts to do? He just starts to say, for this reason, therefore, I've asked to see you and speak with you since it's because of the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain. And they said to him, we've received no letters from Judea about you and none of the brothers coming here have reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are for with regard to this sect or with these new followers of the way, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. 
It's like, we haven't heard everything that you're about, Paul, but it's, we haven't heard great glowing reviews about your ministry. You know, that's what they're saying. And so when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. So Paul's, here's what Paul has to be thinking. They come to his place where he's staying, a crowd starts showing up and he's like, which one of y'all throw on the first punch? You know, who's going to try, who's going to start flogging me? Who's going to start beating me? He says, from morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying of the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Remember, he became all things to all people. And some were convinced by what he had said, but others disbelieved, others doubted. When I think of this moment for Paul, uh, he's got to just have in his mind, like, this is probably not going to go well for me, but uh, here we go. Well, let me tell you about Jesus. I was on the road to Damascus and he just starts rehearsing his testament again, but he's probably just kind of like bracing a little bit to get whacked. But here's what I would say. Share the gospel with people, even if there is a history of disinterest. This was compelling for me this week. Like what leads a man, Paul, who's been beaten up how many times now that we've read in scripture, how many times that we didn't read in scripture, and yet he's in front of Jewish people giving the same old, the same old show. The same old show with probably the same old outcome. But he starts telling about Jesus. But, but here's, he is relentlessly pursuing the kingdom of God in the people who have been so negligent to the good news that he has to offer. And I can be that way in my own life. There are so many people around me that I'm like, man, I've shared the story of Jesus. They know I'm a pastor. They know where they can come hear me talk about it every single weekend. And yet I, because of their disinterest, because of their history of disinterest, I can neglect being a faithful witness to them in the midst of it. I have several people in this category, but who's in that category for you? You told them about Jesus. You've told them about where they can come sit next to you at church. And they're just continually not interested. Here's what I would say. Don't give up hope. Never quit. Never, like, do not grow weary in doing good. Like we just read, like Hannah was just saying from Galatians. For in due season, you will reap. This is not some sort of like church growth hope. This is a thus says the Lord. Keep speaking the good news and he will not return void from what you put out there. You keep sharing, you keep testifying. This person, I've told him the story about Jesus like 10 times. Doesn't matter, keep praying for them. Keep asking, keep contending. I'll show you the journal here in the upcoming month in December, I'm hoping. But, But we have this prayer journal in my college and young adult group. And we just sat down and we just didn't know what to do at the end of the day sometimes. And so we just, we started keeping this list of people that we were gonna pray for. We said, hey, we're gonna be more intentional about praying for some of our friends, some of our family member members. And, and we have this list, we have this journal still. Because you know what's crazy as you read through it? There's like six of them that sit in these seats now every single Sunday. And at one point it was like, hey, I don't, I don't know how this is ever gonna happen, but we're gonna keep them on the prayer list. I've told them about Jesus, but they're just not interested. And guess what? Now, every single Sunday, they're sitting here amongst you. Don't grow weary in doing good. Don't stop sharing the good news of who Jesus is. You're like, Austin, it's not happening. I'm like, it hasn't happened yet is what you should be saying. Keep, keep preaching to them. Keep talking to them. Keep doing it in a way that they can understand. Keep relating with the weaknesses and the struggles of this world because that's, those pain points are going to be your entryway into bringing the euangelion, the good news, the story of Jesus into that story to interrupt it. That's what it's always been about. Never grow tired in sharing the gospel. As we read the last couple verses of the book of Acts, it says in Acts 28, he lived there, Paul, a whole two years. He lived there at his own expense. Paul's living basically in what we'd understand as house arrest. So he's kind of being kept, 
kept watch on. He can't really go anywhere. He's got to stay in a certain spot. People can come visit him, but he can't leave. And he's waiting for his trial from Caesar. And he said he, he welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And what history would teach us is that not, not maybe three, five years after this, Paul would be put on trial, eventually drug outside the city of Rome and executed, be beheaded. Which is maybe not the story that we want it to end like, you know? Like, no, wait, doesn't this one, don't we want this to end in triumph? Well, guess what? The triumph just looked a little different than we thought it would, didn't it? Because Paul's life ended, but you and I don't live in Jerusalem or Rome, and here we are rehearsing the same story. We never stop sharing the story of Jesus because we are a byproduct of their faithfulness. Uh, it, it, thousands of years later, I mean, you, you read just through the book of Acts, and in the book of Acts, you know, it's, it's 30, 40 years removed from that very first chapter where, the, where there's 120 followers of Jesus gathered in an upper room and the Holy Spirit falls on them. And Jesus tells them, you're going to receive power and you will be my witness. Now we go throughout the rest of the book of Acts, 30, 40 years later, and, and now we're, we're 3,000 miles removed from where that incident happened. So the, the story, like, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea, Samaria, and to the outermost parts of the earth. earth? Well, guess what? This was the outermost part of the earth at the known time. Paul has ventured now 3,000 miles away from the starting point. And now we have conservative estimates, 80,000 followers of Jesus, more, more maybe like loose estimates of how many followers through that 30, 40 years, 200, 300,000 followers of Jesus. And guess what? It's only kept going. It's the only story throughout time that's just continued to build momentum around the world. I just want to encourage you with that this morning. Maybe we sit in a time where, where attention to religion and Jesus is starting to wane a little bit in America. And we're all feeling that, aren't we? We're no longer this like prominent focal point of our culture. Yet that's not true all over the world. You look at numbers in, the, in, in, the, in, in East Asia, you look at numbers in places like Iran, places where they are outlawing Christianity altogether and the gospel is exploding right now. South America, like there's just all these numbers because this story isn't broke. We don't need to try and fix it. We just need to be people who tell it. As we end the series today, I have no different message than what we've been talking about this entire time. We have to be a church and a people that receive power and be a witness. We can't go out there and expect to be a witness apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. But we also can't just treat ourselves as just gathering as the people of God going like, I just want to receive power. I just want to receive power. More power, more, more. And then it's like, for what purpose? To go and to be a witness. That's why we receive the power. You look back all the way to Acts chapter 20. When Paul's like, I'm just, I'm convinced the Holy Spirit would have me go to Jerusalem. And I know that chains and imprisonment await me. It says, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But, look at this next verse. I don't account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. This isn't Paul, like being all prone to melancholy. What he's saying here is, no, I'm not, I'm not counting my life as more valuable than the story of Jesus. If I only may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God, of which he did until he died. Receive power, be a witness. On every single seat, you should have got these as you came in today.
a little card that just says receive power, be a witness. I want to take a few minutes here at the end of the service. And you'd notice on the back of it, there are some lines. And so maybe you have a pen with you, maybe you don't. We maybe should have passed these out, but I remembered that we were supposed to pass these out with six minutes to go on the countdown timer. So really, you should just be happy that we got it done. Um, there's lines on here because as much as I think we need to like go to Africa sometimes to share the gospel, and there's a time where the Holy Spirit calls us to go far places to go share the gospel. The better understanding of Jesus' words in the Great Commission are go as you go now, make disciples of all nations. You, you know the theme of scripture. From the very beginning, God creates mankind in his own image. In his likeness, he creates them. With his power, he creates them to go be the cultivators and rulers of the earth, to subdue the earth, to be a witness in the world around them. And if you flash forward to the story uh, of God's people being chosen, being put together as a people in Deuteronomy, it says, now you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. Receive power as you love God. Now love your neighbor by being a witness. Jesus' words in Matthew 28, Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and I will be with you. Do you realize, like, if you rearrange that verse just a little bit, you could say, Jesus, as he's resurrected now, and he's like, guess what, boys? I did it. Like, conquered death, sin, and the grave. Hello, here we go. All authority has been given to me, and I will be with you until the end of the age. So go and make disciples. Receive power. Be a witness. This, now Acts 1.8, wait in, wait in the city, receive power, be a witness to the outermost parts of the earth. When we get to heaven someday, you know what we're going to see? We're going to see God's power unhindered. We're going to see his glory totally purely. And the witness will be observed on our end by every tribe, nation, and tongue gathered together, looking at the one who is almighty and all powerful. So right now, our play is to just keep doing what has been the story of scripture all along. Receive power, be a witness. I'd love if we took just a few minutes before communion and if you just jotted the names down of the people that you know you need to be a witness to. Just let the Holy Spirit prompt you. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to manipulate anything. I just think there's probably already people in your life that you know, these, these people, I've been around them long enough. I need to start witnessing to them. I've been silent. It's time for me to speak. Some of you are going to write things like neighbor to the left. And that's okay. Learn their name. Fill that in then with their name underneath that. And tell them about who Jesus is. Well, Austin, they might, they might really hate being my neighbor. Yeah, but you know what? You are called to a higher purpose than just wondering what the people around you think about your beliefs. You have the Holy Spirit of God inside of you. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives in you. And so, yeah, you got to receive that power so that you can extend that witness to somebody around you. I want to take just maybe two, three minutes, just in quiet. You can look at this. Maybe you don't, maybe you don't have a pen with you right now. You want to jot a note on your phone. Maybe you're like, dude, paper, not my thing. Never going to see it. Maybe you put it as like the screensaver on your phone. Maybe you put it as a calendar reminder so that you see it next week when you're going about your job but write somebody's name down. Let the spirit prompt you to go have an intentional conversation. We are, we are coming up on a season, church, where we've got, we've got Thanksgiving and then we're gonna, we're gonna roll right into Advent and we're gonna talk about 
the love, joy, hope, and peace of God. It's gonna be four weeks of, of a really great and opportune time for you to have somebody far from God sitting next to you in the seats because we're gonna talk about God in a way that everyone can understand and relate with. And so maybe part of this prompting is someone you're gonna invite to church, but maybe it's just somebody you're gonna call. I don't know. But let's take a couple minutes, write some names down, and then we'll conclude with communion here in just a few minutes. We have people who are always praying over our services. Um, and we had, we had someone come up and say, hey, I felt like I had a prophetic word that somebody has an ulcer that God would like to heal that ulcer today. And what I love about the book of Acts is maybe, maybe you're kind of wrestling with and trying to understand that this is all still on the table today. And what I would say is, man, come up for prayer and let's find out, you know? And so I'd have our prayer team. Could you guys come down front here? If, if, if you have an ulcer, here's what I know. Ulcers a lot of times can be caused by stress or anxiety. And so maybe God wants to heal your ulcer. Maybe he actually wants to free you from your stress. Maybe he wants to set you free from anxiety today too. And so if that's, if that's you, I'd welcome you to come on down, especially over here. I'd love you to come over to this side if, that's, if that word resonates with you and if you want prayer today. Um, but for all of us, I'd love to just posture our hands in a way that says uh, we're standing in agreement, posturing our body to receive. And we just ask, Holy Spirit, would you empower us right now? God, I, I pray that our church, our people would experience a filling with the Holy Spirit right now. God, I ask that you would do far more abundantly than all we could ever ask, think, or imagine. And would you start in us, start in our own hearts. Help us to actually receive the righteousness of Christ right now, to put off that old way of thinking that, that we're not blemish-free, that we're not perfect. And God, would we receive your heavenly identity right now? Would we understand who we are in Christ? And would that empower us and embolden us to go share the good news of what you've done with the world around us. God, help us now as we walk out of this building and we're getting ready to step into a dark and hurting world. Help us see opportunity everywhere we go to share your good news. Jesus, we want to see people reconciled to you. We want to see your children come home. We want to see the hurting be healed, the oppressed set free. And so help us be an instrument for that goodness to pour out in our city. We love you, Jesus, and it's in your precious name we pray. Amen.